In this episode, I want to discuss why Christians in pain need you to pray for much more than their physical health. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onward in the faith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Some of you may have noticed that I've not released an episode in about two weeks now. Even this episode was actually supposed to be discussing lukewarm Christianity uh, and the passage where we find that in Revelation. But I'll be honest, it's been a rough two weeks, and this topic has been on my mind a lot. Um, and so today I just really wanted to dig in and discuss how I've learned to pray for people in pain, and as someone who suffers from physical pain, how to ask others to pray for me and even how to pray for myself. Now, if you know me, you probably know that I've spent nearly five years at this point suffering from daily pain. Now, usually I can go about life in a way that is at least normal to me, but there are times where I will get knocked out of commission for days or even weeks due to a combination of really intense nerve and muscle pain, fatigue, and especially brain fog where I can't think straight or focus and things like that. Um, as you may know, a lot of my podcast episodes are inspired by articles that I write. And so to kind of explain what it is that I experience, I thought I would just read from the intro paragraph of the article about this very same topic. And so I, in it, I say, on the popular 0 to 10 pain scale used in the medical field, I spend the majority of my days at a 5. In the first moments of waking up after another sleep-starved night, my aching bones and screaming muscles try to convince me I was recently in a car accident. As the day progresses, I drag about with an unpredictable amount of energy, or lack thereof, wondering if my body is really just a giant bruise covering bones made of broken glass. How would you pray for someone like that? And that question is really what I want to focus on today. How do you encounter someone who is suffering from pain, whether they've had a recent surgery, whether they have cancer, whether they're like me who has an illness that the doctors can't even really explain or understand or treat. How do you pray for someone who is suffering physically, whether it's going to be for days or weeks or whether they're going to be suffering their entire life? Now, when we think about people like that, our immediate reaction is obviously to pray for their physical health. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, as Christians, we are part of a worldwide family. And when our family is suffering because we love them, because we don't want them to hurt, we don't want them to suffer, we want it to end. And so when we pray for them, when we offer to pray for them, when we talk to them, a lot of what we focus on is just an end to what is making them unhappy. We want God to take away that thing that is making them suffer. And we do that out of love, of course. But over the years, as I have been very intimately familiar with pain and suffering, and especially with my brothers and sisters in Christ who want to pray for me and who offer to pray for me and who I know do pray regularly for me, I've learned to talk to them in a way that tends to raise eyebrows. Because when I talk to people, 
they will of course say, you know, you know, I'll pray for your relief or for your recovery or for your healing. And I'm thankful for that. But I actually tell them that, you know, physical healing is actually a very low priority on my prayer requests when it comes to my health. And that sounds weird. And that almost sounds wrong. So why would I say that? Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely want to be healed. I want to be able to wake up and just be able to function. I want to remember what it's like to not have pain constantly present in my mind. I want to know what it's like to just be normal again. But one thing that God has really taught me is that pain-free living isn't what God calls us to. I want to feel better, but I don't need to feel better. And that's partly what frustrates me so much about things like the prosperity gospel, where the idea is that physical healing is always God's plan for us. First of all, we don't see that anywhere in God's word when we actually read it responsibly. We don't see it in the lives of the followers of Christ. We don't see it anywhere in the history of the church for the last 2,000 years. Because what God has taught me, and what I hope I can teach you today through his word, is that physical comfort isn't a requirement for living a holy life that's dedicated to serving Jesus Christ. And really, for some of us, suffering is often where we find our greatest passion for God. I know personally, I can tell you that this entire ministry of Onward in the Faith, the blog, and then eventually this podcast, is a direct result of God allowing me to suffer for the last five years for me being in constant pain. So this ministry, if it's been a blessing to you, if it's helped you grow closer to Jesus Christ, it's here because of my physical pain and suffering. And I'm thankful to God for that. And I hope in a weird way you can be thankful for it too. But here's the thing. When we pray, just as a general rule, it's good to pray for desires that we have, for things that are optional in our lives or in the lives of others. But when we pray, our biggest focus should always be on a person's needs above all else, above their comfort, above our desires. We need to pray for the things that people truly need in their lives. And so when it comes to someone who is in pain, while you're praying for their healing, while you're praying for God to allow them to recover, if that's his will, I really wanted to share just three things that I hope you will also pray about. And Maybe even pray for these three things above praying for that person's physical health or comfort or healing. The first thing that I would encourage you to pray about is to pray for their family. Whenever we see someone suffering, our focus is obviously going to be on them because they are the ones suffering. But what I have learned is that someone who is suffering isn't the only one. And in fact, a lot of times their families can suffer just as much as they are. Obviously, they aren't dealing with the physical pain, but there is a lot of suffering and even mourning that's going on in the family of someone who is dealing with some kind of physical problems. The family may be suffering from a loss of income. If a spouse can't work or has to change jobs and take a lower pay, their personality may change as they are having to deal with some kind of suffering in their life. Plans that this family had can often get moved or even completely canceled, whether it's going on trips or doing something to their home or just typical family routines or things that a family will typically do regularly may get changed or altered. A spouse may need to kind of pick up the slack and take care of the home or the family 
because their spouse is unable to or unable to do it as easily. Um, Things like intimacy may lower or change or be more frustrating at times. Um, Children will often kind of miss out on the typical parent stuff. So whether it's learning how to ride a bike or doing sports together or being able to roughhouse with their dad or just things like that, you know, things that kids typically do with their parents may change or even be completely impossible depending on what's going on. And overall, an entire family's lives are often shifted when a parent is in this kind of pain. And so as you kind of think about the family and what they're going through and what they're experiencing, some things to realize is that family members can sometimes feel wrong or guilty because they are struggling to handle these changes or these new limitations that their mom or dad or their spouse is now dealing with. And it can hit them hard because while they want to love and support this person and always have joy and happiness for them, they can become angry. They can become bitter or resentful and they can struggle in a completely unique way that they feel wrong for even acknowledging because how dare they be angry. They're not the ones suffering. How dare they struggle or be sad because they aren't the ones dealing with it. And so that's a wonderful way to pray for a family. Um, A family member can even start to resent that person's suffering. You know, they can be angry because what they wanted that person to be like, they aren't. They may want to do things with mom or dad. They may want to do things with their spouse that suddenly they can't do now and may never ever be able to do. And they can start to look down or angrily at that person because of it. Um, Of course, just in general, the family just may struggle just seeing this person they love really facing their own mortality. You know, whether this sickness is or this pain is temporary because they just had a surgery, whether it's going to be a lifelong thing or whether they know that in months or years they could lose this person. It's hard and it, it grieves a family to see someone they love day after day suffering and struggling with this thing. And so in a way, when you see someone who's suffering, know that their family is essentially mourning because they have lost someone. They may not have lost someone in the sense of they are dead, but the person that they knew, the person that they counted on, the person who they had plans with and they had assumptions about and they saw a future going a certain way, they've lost that person. And so when you're praying for someone who is suffering, pray for their family. Pray that their family can have joy in spite of whatever the circumstances may be. Pray that the family can have patience and even understanding in learning how to reorient their thinking or adjust their lives. Uh, Pray for the spiritual growth and the maturity of the family as, you know, in spite of what's going on, they still need to focus on Christ, and hopefully they want to focus on Christ. And when something unique and big like this happens, it can be very easy for a family to pull their eyes off Christ and instead just focus on what's happening to them now. But really, the biggest thing you can do, I think, is just pray that they won't take their eyes off their Savior, that they won't lose faith or lose hope or even lose confidence that God is who he says he is. And you know, if you're close to this family, if this is practical for you, uh, the final thing I would say to pray about, and this isn't the only thing, but you know, pray that you can also find ways to serve that family. You know, not just the person suffering, but you know, I have people in my life who have 
you know, brought us meals and things like that. They've taken my kids out to do, you know, sports and things like that, that I struggle to do with them as much and things like that, you know, whether it's reaching out to the other spouse and just, you know, talking to them and just not even talking about what the situation, but just being a good friend to them, you know, things like that mean a lot because it helps to pull that family out of the situation they're dealing with. It helps them to stop focusing so much on just this very sad and frustrating thing. And it just lets them feel loved. It helps them to feel normal. And it just helps them to enjoy fellowship with other people outside their family in a setting that is normal. And sometimes it's good to even just get them away from what's happening so that they can just kind of reorient and readjust and just have a nice break. Now, another way to pray for someone in pain is to pray for their spiritual health instead of just their physical one, because our physical health is a gift from God. So any amount of healthiness or lack of sickness or pain that we have is a good gift from God. But we need to realize that it's a gift, not a right. It's not something that we need, and a life without suffering is absolutely not something that we deserve. But that's not true of our spiritual health, because our life spent following Jesus Christ is an absolute thing. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening, our spiritual health isn't just something that we focus on or nurture or enjoy just when things are feeling good. Whatever's happening, our goal is always to grow closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And so during suffering, that can be really difficult to do because especially if that suffering is kind of a new thing or if it's something that is kind of life-consuming, it can be very easy to just let that get our primary attention and let everything else fall away. And one of the worst things that we can let go of in the midst of suffering is our spiritual health, is our life with Jesus Christ. And there's a few reasons that that can happen. Uh, number one, pain and suffering can be a very isolating experience. You know, you can come upon someone who maybe even looks fine and looks normal. They can walk and they can talk, and you may not be able to look at them and see that they're suffering, but that doesn't mean that they're not. And if a person's physical suffering isn't something really obvious, it can feel even more isolating because everyone looks at you and expects you to be normal and may not even realize what's going on inside in that to realize that you are suffering and in pain and really struggling just to do basic living can be a hard thing to cope with because because it's just difficult for us to understand and to empathize that just because someone doesn't look hurt or broken doesn't mean that they aren't. And so when that happens, we can kind of start spiraling down and in time, we can even become very self-focused because of our suffering. You know, we can start to become frustrated because maybe people don't check in as often as we wish they would. Uh, it can be frustrating because you can feel like everyone is trying to fix you or they might, it might feel like they're treating you like a problem that needs to be solved instead of just a person who is suffering. You can be faced with the desire to withdraw from other people because, you know, maybe you're frustrated with dealing with people or a lot of times with physical pain, the kind of social aspect of dealing with people can just be very exhausting and it can take a lot of effort just to carry on a conversation 
or to talk to people or to go out and about and just enjoy spending time with friends to where even if you want to do it, it can be a very taxing thing to do and especially to do it regularly or as often as people may hope that you could or as often as you hope that you could. And so on and on, this pain can just become this thing that makes us go further and further into ourselves and kind of hide in our shell. And it can lead to us missing out on good Christian fellowship, sometimes because we're sinful with it, but sometimes we don't realize that we're missing out on Christian fellowship. We don't mean to be cutting ourselves off or isolating or things like that, but it just feels like a natural thing because all we're focused on is the physical pain, is the suffering that we're in. But like I said, it can actually motivate someone suffering to be very selfish and be very focused on themselves more than others and to think that, well, because they are in so much pain, they that's what they need to focus on. They need to focus on self-care and they can't possibly be bothered or put in the effort to love others. But obviously that's different from what God calls us to. And we can see that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, which says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And so when we're thinking about how pain affects a person, one way to pray for them is really to pray that they won't be selfish with their pain, that they can remember that God calls them to love others no matter what, to love others above themselves. And so even despite being in pain or being in any kind of suffering, whether it's temporary or whether it's lifelong, as believers, we're called to love others more than ourselves. No matter how much we need feel the need to take care of ourselves, others are always more important than we are because that's just what God calls us to. He calls us to have a good measure of just how important we really are in life. And really, the closer we get to God, the more we study our sinfulness and our wretchedness and our unworthiness of God's goodness, we realize that we're called to love others because we aren't worthy of loving ourselves. There's nothing about us to love. The only thing for us to love is Jesus Christ. And we want to love the things that he loves. And if he loves his people, we want to love his people. But again, when we get very focused on ourselves, when we're suffering, it's very easy to forget that and think that, oh, well, I'll love others when I've reached this certain milestone. Whenever I've risen above my pain or my suffering by this much, then I can stop focusing on myself and then I can love others. But when you pray for someone, pray that they don't fall into that trap of thinking that they are the most important thing or that their pain somehow frees them from the call to love and serve Jesus Christ by loving and serving his people more than themselves. And now another danger that a person suffering can face is that it can very easily lead to all kinds of anger. And we know that, in general, anger has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And now, this isn't the time to really dig into a word study of anger, so just kind of in a broad sense, it's good to realize that anger very easily creeps in when someone is suffering, whether it's spiritual suffering or physical suffering. Whenever we are hurting, we get very focused on ourselves, and we realize how weak we are, how incapable we are, 
how temporary our lives are. And that can lead us to anger because we don't have power to change the things that we want to change. And so that can lead to things like long lasting bitterness, where we just kind of have this constant low grade simmer of anger, whether it's at our situation whether it's the behavior of others or even being bitter at God, because he is letting us suffer when we feel like we don't deserve it. We may say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, but surely I don't deserve to suffer this much. Surely I deserve to live a life better than this. And that immediately, I think, shows just how sinful and how prideful we are to think that the fact that we're even breathing is more than we deserve. And yet we would tell God that God, you know, I don't deserve this. I'm a much better person than someone who should suffer with this. But not only that, you know, suffering can tempt us to give in to bad moods or even outright yelling or throwing things in anger and frustration. You know, we can just have a short fuse and just react with any kind of anger or outburst or wrathfulness because we aren't happy and the world needs to know it or we need to feel better about ourselves by letting that anger pour out of us, whether we're taking it out on someone else, whether we're taking it out on the TV remote or whatever. We want the world around us to suffer just like we are. You know, and maybe it's not our actions that we use to hurt people. You know, maybe it's just our words and we use our words to tear people down. We use our words to throw pity parties for ourselves, or we just use our words to do nothing but sit and complain and want everyone to know how much we're suffering and want people to look at us and know that things are bad and we aren't happy and that people need to treat us in a way that makes us feel better because of our suffering. And again, all of this, as you're noticing, keeps tying back to that selfishness and that self-focus. And all of that self-focus comes from us wanting to serve ourselves, for us to feel better rather than loving and serving others in spite of what we're feeling. And when that comes to anger, you know, anger can manifest itself in so many different ways that we may not even realize that the root of our problem is anger. But ultimately, when our hearts aren't focused on God, we'll become focused on ourselves. And the problem with that is that Anyone in the world can do that. Anyone can suffer and just become very selfish and self-focused. And a lot of people would even excuse that and say, well, of course you need to focus on yourself. Of course you need to care for yourself. But that's not what God calls us to. And so when someone's suffering, you know, pray that you know, God will give them the grace to see you know, really how unworthy they are of anything. And that in spite of their physical health, in spite of what they're experiencing, that They can find joy in God because he is ultimate. Pray that they can focus on him for their joy and satisfaction to where whatever they're experiencing doesn't shake what they find in the permanent and strong and almighty God of the universe. And to kind of expand on why it's so easy to fall into that trap of, you know, maybe loving God when things are good, but falling into doubt or anger or selfishness when things aren't. I think as believers, all of us can, if we're honest, understand the trap of what I'm going to call sunny day Christianity. You know, if you've ever heard of Fairweather Friends, you're very familiar with how easily it is that we fall into this. So, you know, whenever you're on social media, when people throw around the whole hashtag blessed, hashtag God is good, oh, isn't our God amazing? Notice that people always say that when things are good when things are how we want them to be, when the world can look at the situation we're talking about and say, yeah, that's a good thing. 
you know, we, we fall into this trap and make this mistake of thinking that, you know, we are spiritually strong and we feel closer to God because things are good. Our emotions are high. Situations are going in a way that we want them to. And so we equate that with the blessing and favor of God. And then we see how that plays out in situations like suffering, because we think that, well, if goodness and blessings are seen in my happiness and things going how I want, then surely when I'm suffering or when I'm unhappy, there's a problem and God is failing me somehow. And so we fall into this thing, which, like I said, is a trap of thinking that if things are bad, we need to lose faith and we need to lose hope because God has somehow failed us or not come through with us. But let's see what God's word has to say about that. And I think we can really get a beautiful picture of it in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. And this is Paul speaking. And he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if you've ever been in a Christian bookstore, you've probably seen Philippians 4.13 on all kinds of signs and coffee cups. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that's the rallying cry to win a sports game, to get a job promotion, to do whatever it is that we feel we need to be empowered to do. But if we really look at that verse in the context of what Paul's talking about here, and especially in the context of speaking of suffering, we realize that a successful Christian life isn't measured by how the world measures success. You know, because here, Paul isn't saying that Christ empowers him to succeed. If you look closely, Paul is lumping the worldly idea of suffering and success together. He's saying that it's difficult to focus on Christ in bad and good situations. You know, he talks about having want and having plenty, of being filled and being hungry, of having prosperity and and being in need. You know, he, he equates those two things together. He says, I can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, he's not saying I can succeed. He's saying that in spite of success, in spite of failure, whether I'm suffering or whether things seem good by the world's standards, I can exist in any circumstance and not take my eyes off of Jesus Christ. I can bring glory to God and I can praise God and I cannot be distracted by the world, regardless of what my circumstance is, not just when my circumstance is bad, but even when my circumstance is good. Because some of us know that, you know, it's easy to get distracted and take our eyes off Christ when things are bad, but we can also take our eyes off him when things are good. And in that way, we need the grace of God to even be followers of Christ when things are amazing and we have everything we want. Because sometimes that's the most destructive time in our lives is when things are good. And so here, when we look at this passage in Philippians, we see that Christ is good at all times, not just the good ones. And we need Christ at all times, not just during the bad ones. And so the concerns of the world are simply secondary to where we find our true hope and our true joy and our true satisfaction. So this second point is probably a lot to consider. So let's break it down. How in general do we pray for someone's spiritual health? I think Paul gives us another good model in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10. through 10. And so I want to go kind of verse by verse and just see 
how we can take this understanding of our life as believers and pray for someone who may be suffering or even pray for ourselves when we're suffering. So verse 7 says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So here we see that Paul understood that suffering wasn't outside of the control of God. And not only that, Paul realized that his suffering was even a gift from God because God was giving him some form of suffering, this thorn in the flesh, as he calls it. God gave it to him to keep him humble, to keep him focused on Jesus Christ and not from giving into his pride or arrogance. And so Paul realized that the suffering he was experiencing was actually designed to draw him closer to God. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And so here, Paul asked for healing or freedom from whatever this thorn was that God had given him. So Paul realized that there was a purpose to it, but he still asked God to take it away from him. But here's where it gets beautiful, and here's where the life of the believer is so different from anything the world could possibly understand. So in verse 9, he goes on to say, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So here's where I think we see one of the greatest ways we can pray for someone's spiritual life in the midst of suffering. Pray that they never forget that Christ is enough. Regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their emotions and how they're feeling in the moment, or regardless of how hopeless a situation may be, pray that that person will have the peace and joy in Christ that surpasses all human understanding. Because that is what they need. More than physical health, they need a strong spiritual health where they can look to Christ and say, Christ, this is hard. I feel like I can't handle it. I feel like I just want to cave in and give up. But you are enough. You are my strength. I can do this through you who gives me strength. And even if I'm healed, even if I feel better, I know that I can respond to that healing in a way that focuses on you and not myself and doesn't let me drift from you. But then Paul continues here in verse 10 and says, Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when you're praying for someone, yes, pray for their physical health. But so much more than that, pray that they will find strength in Jesus Christ. Pray that they will see their suffering as an opportunity to see how weak and incapable they are. But not stopping there, pray that they will see that because of that, they can focus on how strong and how almighty their God is. And pray that they will find their ultimate contentment, not in how they feel, not in their recovery, but that they will find contentment and peace and joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ, regardless of their suffering, regardless of how well, things might be going otherwise. Pray that, above all, their life with Christ will be strong, even when their body is failing them. And then finally, when you're praying for someone suffering, pray that, above all, God's glory will be displayed. So if you've ever watched Christian movies or read Christian books, it's easy to fall into this idea of thinking that 
God gets glory through miracles and things that just blow us away. So, like I said, you know, Christian media is filled with stories that end with someone overcoming obstacles or having their life changed or having success in whatever they were trying to accomplish. Or for our purposes, God gets glory when someone is miraculously healed. And so we start thinking that suffering needs to end in some kind of fairy tale ending in order for God to look good in the end. But the problem with that comes when for every one story of a miraculous healing, there are probably tens of thousands of stories that are filled with God's people getting sick and staying sick and eventually dying. There's no big miraculous moment. There's no sign from heaven. There's no chorus of angels singing as someone suddenly starts feeling better and is immediately cured and everyone falls down and worships God. There are very few stories like that in the Bible and in all of church history. You know, these stories of Christians who get sick and die are very similar to the stories of other people who are still enemies of God who also get sick and die. Or people who aren't followers of Christ who get sick and get better. Meanwhile, one of Christ's followers gets sick and doesn't get better. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we have two options. One, we look at the life of that person who gets sick and stays sick and dies and say, oh, God failed. God's not good. God's not strong. God's not in control. Or we look at that situation and see that God deserves just as much glory for that person's life as if that person was healed. Because here's the thing. We want our suffering and the suffering of others to mean something. We want to measure God's goodness by the blessing that a person receives after suffering. We want to be able to excitedly tell people that God is good and to show his power and his mercy and his love because this person was sick and now they're not. And so we want that to be what suffering ends up as because in our minds, that is how God gets glory. We think that he can only receive glory if he comes through and gives people what they want. But here's the thing. Suffering does mean something. It always means something. But very rarely does suffering necessarily mean what we want it to or what we think it does. Because suffering produces something. We see this in James 1 verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that last bit there about being perfect and complete doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect in a sinless sense, but that we will be whole and complete, that we will know where our hope is, know where our satisfaction is, and know where our salvation comes from. Because we see here, and we see it further expanded in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, if you want to pause and read that, we see that all trials have a purpose. And the purpose of trials isn't to have someone get better so that we can glorify God, but for our suffering, whether it's persecution religiously, whether it's physical suffering, whatever thing that comes up in our lives that tests our faith, the entire point of it is to not break our faith, not to give us what we want, but ultimately to drive us to Jesus Christ, to give us hope in our God, and to help us see that whether we are suffering or whether we are having success, our hope is ultimately found not in what the world measures as success or suffering, not what the world tells us we need or want, but ultimately 
our suffering drives us purely to Christ, to our refuge, to our rock. That is where suffering is always going to lead us, to where even if we suffer and stay suffering and then die, it's not that that suffering was wasted, because that suffering existed for the same reason that Paul's thorn in the flesh existed, to drive us to our Savior. And so as believers, we can find great hope and great comfort in knowing that when we suffer, it's not pointless and it's not needless. It's always moving us somewhere. And so suffering isn't a sign that we're abandoned. You know, we see this in Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when we suffer, it's not that God has put a pause on our spiritual growth. It's not that God's sitting there waiting for us to get better so that he can keep growing us to be more like Jesus Christ. It's not that God put suffering in our lives and said, okay, well, when you're done there, then we'll get back to killing sin in your life. No, even suffering is a good gift and a good work of God in our lives. From the day we were born, from the day on the cross, from the day that we were saved, God has always been driving us closer and closer to Christ, to helping us see how sinful we are, how weak we are, and how much we need God to overcome sin because we cannot do it. It's not that we do it with help from him. It's that he does it in our lives because we can do no good apart from him. And so whatever comes up in our lives, whether it's good, whether it's bad by our worldly standards, everything that happens can drive us closer to Christ, can kill sin in our lives, can drive us to more holy living and to loving God more and more every moment of our day. And we know this because God is good. God is perfect. God doesn't abandon us. He never abandoned Israel in the entirety of the Old Testament. Everything he let them go through was to drive them closer to him and to bring them back. And just like them, when God allows us to go through suffering, sometimes, maybe, it's a punishment. It's a correction to get us focused on him. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes, just like Paul with his thorn in the flesh, that suffering, that pain exists to make us focus on Christ, to see how perfect he is, how much we need him, and to realize that things like physical health or happiness or pain-free living are nice. They're good options. They are certainly things we would prefer, but they are not what we need. What we need is Christ. And so even if we can't see it, even if we can't understand it, we know that as believers, as people who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, whatever we go through, even suffering, even the worst suffering, even suffering that leads us to death is making us more like Christ, is making us love holiness and righteousness and hate sin and selfishness and the darkness that marked our lives before he saved us. And so when it comes to praying for someone in pain and praying that God gets glory, above all, in their suffering, in their recovery, or even in their death, I would say that one of the best ways to pray for someone in the way that I personally hope people pray for me is that the life of that person would reflect 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And that says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that whatever you do encompasses everything that comes up in our lives. So for the person in pain, when we think about that, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, whether you suffer in pain, whether you lose your health, whether you see your life fall apart, whether you die, do it all to the glory of God. 
show the world, show your brothers and sisters in Christ, and in your own heart, keep reminding yourself of God's greatness, his goodness, his sovereignty, his power, his love, and his peace. When anyone is suffering, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, if they have been redeemed by his blood, if their sins have been blotted out, and they now have peace with God, pray that in the midst of their suffering, whatever happens, pray that they will show who God is through how a person who's been purchased by the blood of Christ can find joy, even when they aren't happy. Pray that they can show who God is because of the peace they have, even in the midst of their suffering. And pray that they will bring all glory to God by the impossible hope they have, even when everything in their life seems hopeless. So when a person is suffering, or when we are suffering, pray that others won't see how strong that person is, but how mighty their God is. So in conclusion, I hope you see why these three things are so important to pray for someone. Yes, absolutely, pray for their healing. Pray in faith that God is powerful enough to heal them if that's his will. But don't let their physical health be the only thing you pray for. And don't even let their physical health be the most important thing you pray for. You know, Whether you're interacting with that person, keep bringing them to what they need the most. Obviously, don't preach at them. You know, Don't say, well, you know, just pray, just, just trust in Jesus. But share with them that hope that they have because it's the same hope that you have. You know, our hope in Christ is all that keeps us going in any circumstance, whether it's success or suffering. Our hope in Christ is what we have and it's all we need. And so just let that mark your life as you are interacting and loving on someone who is in the midst of suffering. And then as you pray for them, ask God, yes, to give that person what they want because that person is going to want healing. They're going to want comfort. But above all, never stop asking God to bring that person and their family closer to Jesus Christ, whether that person is healed, whether they live a life of suffering until they die. Pray that they will never take their eyes off the cross and their amazing Savior who took the punishment for all their sin so that this brief sin-cursed life could never compare to the glorious eternity that they get to spend with a perfect and holy God. <laughs> 